Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Nurse Mama Show, the home of happy parents and healthy teens. I'm your host, Dr. Jessica Peck, pediatric nurse practitioner, nursing professor, and mom of four teens. I'll serve as your expert guide to engage, equip, encourage, and empower you to navigate life's toughest issues with your teens. We will explore health impacts and home strategies to create a safe space in an unsafe world. My co-host for this series will be Pastor Brian Haynes, who will guide us through the spiritual impacts and help us grow our faith. Let's explore conversation keys together and get started. Welcome to episode two of the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast, mental health, how to break free from stigma and silence. I hope by now that you have had the time to get your copy of Behind Closed Doors, a guide to help parents and teens navigate through life's toughest issues, and that you've already read the introduction. If you missed the first podcast episode, go back and take a listen so you are up to speed on our journey together. Today, we're going to dive right in and talk about an issue that's very personal to me, mental health. In chapter one of Behind Closed Doors, I share with you the story of my daughter's struggle and my struggle to recognize and accept her condition. I get it. I understand. It is hard, and there are no quick fixes or magic cures. Believe me, I've looked. It's a journey with ups and downs, backwards and forwards, mountaintops, valleys, and plateaus. As a pediatric nurse practitioner, professor, and mom of four teens at once, yes, at one time, and they're all mine, my heart aches these days, and I honestly worry, like, a lot. Sometimes I can't sleep. Sometimes I just feel like eating ice cream and binge-watching something ridiculous. Sometimes, I confess, I cry on the floor of my closet, quote-unquote, so my kids don't see me, but let's be real, I know they do. Sometimes I'm just overwhelmed. Take a listen here to the headlines on my newsfeed as a child health advocate. State of children's mental health continuing to worsen. Children unprepared for school environment lack basic life skills due to pandemic disruptions. More than a quarter of U.S. parents said their child has seen a mental health specialist over the course of the COVID-19 pandemic. These statistics are sobering and, if I'm honest, downright depressing. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental health condition in children and adolescents, affecting between 15 to 30 percent of youth. That means almost one in three of you listening right now are likely experiencing this at home. Depression is a leading cause of disability. Yes, I just said disability among teens aged 15 to 19 years, impacting nearly one in five teens. Why is this happening? Well, humor me and get in my time machine to consider some historical context. Let's start with the greatest generation, valiant and heroic, no doubt. But they came home from World War II with significant trauma. It was considered dishonorable to show weakness. So how did they cope? Well, by closeting their emotions and adopting a stoic stance as their sacred duty. Next, we have the silent generation who raised their children to be seen and not heard. 
This brings in the baby boomers, the free love generation, who passionately advocated for peace, likely because in their ideal, peace would have prevented wartime traumas that made their parents and grandparents emotionally inaccessible to them. After that, we have Gen X, that's me, by the way, who grew up in a world with working parents who generally had less time for their kids. Even for parents like mine who stayed home, emotions generally in this generation were not encouraged, and Gen X learned the importance of autonomy and self-reliance. Gen Xers overcompensated, oh, that's me again, in their parenting and took a helicopter or hovering or lawnmower, you know, mowing every obstacle in front of your kid approach. Unsurprising to anyone, millennials love and respect their parents because they did this, and they often don't want to leave them. For this, we often hear ridicule and jokes. Millennials also saw the dot-com bust and had extreme difficulty getting into the job market. But you know what? This actually made them open, adaptive to change, and creative. Okay, so enter Gen Z. These are our teens today, our teens that we're raising, born from 1997 forward. By the way, that makes me feel so old because I was way out of high school by that time. I digress, but let's take a moment to look at the world from the view of Gen Z. Here are six things you may or may not know about this generation. This is the first generation raised with the internet as digital natives. Do you remember getting your first smartphone? I know I do. You can read that embarrassing story in chapter two of Behind Closed Doors. But why is tech important? Because Gen Z has access to way more information than we ever did growing up. This can be overwhelming and it leaves them feeling anxious. Second, the world has never felt safe to them. If you're a boomer, do you remember where you were when JFK was assassinated? If you're a Gen Xer like me, do you remember the Challenger explosion? Growing up in Houston, I went to school with some of those astronauts' children. I definitely remember it. What about millennials? Do you remember where you were on 9-11? Now we have to think, Gen Z was born in a post-9-11 world and has recently endured COVID, what I believe to be a devastating social and moral injury to teens. They desire global connection, but they are deeply afraid of threats of violence, political unrest, and financial devastation. Third thing about Gen Z, they are health conscious. They don't like our our decisions as their parents to drive through and have fast food. They know the dangers of smoking and drinking, and these social pressures tend to make them feel safer hanging out in online forums. But it also causes them to feel lonely and isolated as they work to avoid potentially dangerous or unhealthy situations while they're trying to be thrifty and save money. Fourth, they are the most diverse generation to date. They're more likely to be interracial or gender nonconforming. They have wider networks of friends. When we were growing up, our friend groups were generally homogenous and the world looked like our neighborhood. 
But seeing hardships experienced by people they see as unaccepted in society can be really emotionally and morally taxing for Gen Z. Fifth thing, Gen Z is also more privacy conscious. They hate the pressures of always having to be Insta-ready, and they seek closer groups of friends with whom to be authentic. They dream of being entrepreneurs, of having work-life balance, and relying on themselves for income rather than subjecting themselves to what they see as corporate greed. And last, they're also prolonging their childhood. They're staying home longer. They're waiting to get married. They're waiting to have kids. This is actually consistent with biological development because teen brains don't fully mature until the early 20s. You might be thinking at this point, yeah, Jessica, this is interesting, but you're wondering why am I talking about all of this in the context of mental health? It's because the numbers we are seeing on mental health statistics are very dramatic, and they're all about Gen Z. To even start to understand it, we have to understand the world in which they live and meet them where they are. Here's the good news. This may be the most innovative and resilient generation we have ever seen. They actually have the courage to engage in conversation about mental health in a way that all previous generations have simply refused to do. Each generation adopts unhealthy coping mechanisms, but Gen Z is simply saying out loud what we were too inhibited or afraid to say. Let's look at Simone Biles, the American Olympic gymnast whose withdrawal from the Tokyo Olympics sent global shockwaves. She was hailed as an American hero and widely lauded as the GOAT. That's the greatest of all time. A heavy mantle for a young athlete to carry. I actually was in St. Louis during those U.S. Olympic team trials. I'm telling you, the atmosphere was absolutely electric with anticipation. Side note, every store within a three-block radius was sold out of hairbrushes. But again, I digress. There was enormous pressure in this place. This was during COVID. There were signs everywhere pleading for masking. There was hand sanitizer, physical distancing, and a lot of fearful conversations about a dream that was years in the making being taken away by illness or exposure. It left a really deep impression on me. The Olympics in any given year is high-stakes forum, but covid deeply impacted our societal norms and collective mental health. Fast forward to Tokyo. Simone gives up her spot to a teammate because she didn't feel she was healthy enough mentally to compete safely. And she said that publicly. Cue the vitriolic commentary that commenced in the public narrative— one side lauding her as an American hero, one side bedeviling her as a villain or worse. Here's the truth. She's neither. She's not a hero or a villain. She's a person, a young person, a human being with successes and setbacks, victories and defeats, triumphs and struggles. There is an ugly hidden truth of stigma and bias. A quick internet search of the most gruesome sports injuries will find online videos with millions of views and celebratory cheers as the athlete is carried off the field. If an athlete finds their mental health is injured, they're met with mocking and derision. 
why the double standard? Rest assured, though, our Gen Z kids are watching these videos and listening to this dialogue with interest. More importantly, they are learning to interpret their own mental health through these conversations. If Simone Biles, gifted, admired, revered even, can be ridiculed for mental health struggles, what does that say to an average teen who carries none of those accolades? Words matter. We need to be in a place as parents where we can have respectable conversations about mental health. There are many of us who are not okay. People who are struggling need our compassion and support. So I'm inviting you to collectively choose kindness and model that for your kids. Chapter one in Behind Closed Doors is going to give you all the information you need to recognize and act when you see a potential mental health concern in your kids. So be sure to read all about it and find out how I was finally able to get my daughter the help she needed. Now it's time to welcome my co-host, Pastor Brian Haynes, pastor of Bay Area Church and Bay Area School in League City, Texas. Brian, welcome to the show. Hi, Jessica. Thanks for having me. Well, today we're talking about mental health, and this is something where I see a lot of intersection between health, uh, mental health, and spiritual health. And I think in the church, we sometimes unintentionally categorize mental health solely as a spiritual issue. And I've seen that lead to a crisis of faith for some. So how do you think we can best frame mental health issues in a spiritual context? I think it's important for the church, especially pastors and leaders in the church, to be honest about mental health. So to say that it's only spiritual is to negate things that people are going through, actually. As you know, we are all connected. We're complex. You know, our emotion, our mental health, our spiritual health is all connected. And so the church really has to be transparent. I think pastors really have to be transparent about their own mental health, removing the stigma, uh, helping the church, helping people see that it's really important they take care of their mental health like they do their physical health. Um, and so I, I think the big part of what the church has to do is to help people understand that there's no stigma behind mental health. It's, it's important for us as Christians to get that just, quoting a Bible verse doesn't always uh, do the, the trick. And then the second thing is we have to help the church see the solutions to mental health, uh, things like medication, things like uh, doctors, counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists, as an aspect of God's common grace. Uh, all truth is God's truth. And the things that psychiatrists and psychologists have learned that are true about the brain, about mental health, those kinds of things, actually is a common grace from the Lord because they've developed treatments to really, uh, to really help. And so just, I think we as church leaders can remove that stigma from the church and help them understand common grace that is as uh, medicine when it comes to mental health. Well, one of the things that I really appreciate about you is that you literally practice what you preach, and your church is launching a ministry for biblical counseling called Living Water. So I would love for you to share about what that is and your church's vision for serving families in your community. 
Sure. So for actually for eight years now, we've had this biblical counseling ministry called Living Water. And that is a reactive um, lay person, volunteer driven ministry. And we have counselors, not LPCs, not MLFTs, but counselors that are trained in using the scriptures to meet people's needs when they're at a crisis point. And then they refer if it's sort of beyond what they can handle. And we've seen so much health, so much goodness, so much healing come to people through that particular ministry. But we are launching uh, something new in our community called Life Tree Counseling Ministry in partnership with another church in our city. And that is a, a counseling center that is, is run by LPCs, they're Christians but they're LPCs. Uh, we're gonna have six counselors and their focus is really gonna be forward facing with the idea of engaging mental health at the community level for all people. It doesn't matter your background or situation. We just wanna be a part of the solution. I think mental health is a huge mission field. It's definitely a place where people are really feeling the pinch. And so we're investing a lot uh, to partner with the gospel with science to uh, make a difference in the lives of, of people. And so much so that now we've just this last week, we brought on a pastor of counsel and care who is an LPC. He is a, an LMFT and he's serving as a pastor in our staff just to engage that in our own church. And so we see this as, a, as fundamental to ministry in the next season. That is so exciting to me because I think one of the biggest barriers to getting mental health care is that accessibility piece, is the actual picking up the phone and calling someone. And sometimes if you just immediately think about calling a psychiatrist or your healthcare provider, that can seem really scary because you think, oh, are they just going to prescribe me medication or am I really that that you know, that and that desperate need of help. But I think having that point of access in a church where it feels safe and you already have relationships built is super exciting. And some people listening may not be, you know, familiar with LPC. Can you talk a little bit about those roles and what those are? Sure. An LPC is someone who's been trained uh, through uh, master's and doctoral level work really to, and, and is certified by the state as a licensed professional counselor. So it's, it, in my mind, it equates to going to a doctor uh, that has been trained to answer the questions related to your physical health. This is someone who's been trained to really help you with mental health and to guide you uh, toward treatment, toward solutions. Um, and and uh, LMFT, I guess I threw that acronym out there, but this is licensed marriage and family therapist. So what we see is uh, a real assault on marriage and family, especially post-pandemic. And we want to be a part of that solution. So we're partnering with uh, licensed marriage and family therapists who have been trained, educated, uh, and have the right tools to really help uh, in, in very difficult situations that people are dealing with. Well, I love that because there are so many d different uh, 
providers that can come around you and have a wraparound approach because it could be LPCs like you're talking about or LMFTs, or it could be a nurse practitioner who mm-hmm. has training in mental health or a physician, a pediatrician. It could be a psychologist or a psychiatrist, and that can be really difficult to navigate. But having that point of access, having a counseling ministry in the church gives you that entry level. The other entry level from my perspective sitting in healthcare would be your primary care provider. Mm -hmm. They can help you know what kind of counseling you need, just like you were talking about. Is this an issue that we can just walk alongside you, give you some biblical encouragement, or is it an issue that needs a higher level of services? And I think that's really important. So what advice do you have for parents or teens who maybe think, hey, that sounds good. I would love to have that kind of support. but they also want to spiritually encourage other people struggling with mental health. What would you say to those people? Say that you know they're in your church and there's somebody who is struggling with depression or anxiety. You talked earlier about stigma. How can we as Christians speak life into those situations and, and speak words of hope and not hurt? Thank you for asking that because I think people really struggle with this, especially in the church. And there, I think the best thing that we can do is be attentive to people to have sort of our eyes open in the context of our community and we can recognize when someone you you don't have to be a a counselor or doctor to recognize someone's mood is is off consistently or they're struggling consistently and and when we have the opportunity to engage relationally i think we should so ignoring mental health is no longer an opportunity an option at the ground level we need to be good enough friends with people that we just engage and say are you okay and really and really listen to the parent, to the spouse that is sort of dealing with someone in their family who is struggling with mental health issues. A lot of times we sweep those things under the carpet because we don't wanna deal with the ramifications. And let me just encourage you to um, act quickly when you recognize. And your counsel just a minute ago was perfect. I think sometimes it's very easy to go to your primary care physician first, it's time for a physical. Let's take that teenager and let's 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 tell them what you've been going through or her, what you've been going through. They may be able to sort of open the door, point in a direction, but I think it takes all of us to say, hey, you may feel depressed right now, but you don't have to feel depressed forever. There's hope. And I'm gonna walk through this with you. And I think that's the church's role really is to walk alongside as people are going through these things. And to recognize that mental health does have a spiritual component, but it also has, it's not only spiritual mm-hmm. and there's no um, there's no shame or stigma in, in getting services and help from all of those people, that village around you. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's absolutely correct. There should be no shame in this at all. I, I have told people many times, look, if, if I broke my arm, <laughs> I would go to the ER. If you're if you're feeling something that is super broken, like let's let's get you to the right people for the right help. And I think sometimes people don't know what to say when they encounter somebody that's shared with them or they find out that they have a mental health issue. And I think the point is 
you really don't have to say anything, just listening, just saying, how can I help you? How can I support you? How can I pray for you? Those things are going to be so much more helpful than any advice you're trying to come up with on the spot to do. Absolutely. Being there, being present. If you have the resources to connect someone to someone who really can help, you've really done your job at that point. Well, it's so encouraging to hear you as a pastor talking about mental health in the context of that, in a, in a spiritual context, but also just a holistic context, uh, context where we have mental health and physical health and emotional health and all of those things. So thank you so much for everything that your church is doing to serve your community. And I hope that there may be some people out there listening who think, maybe my church could do that. That would be great. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode, Pastor Brian. We appreciate you so much. Thank you. Mental health issues are on the rise. No family is immune. So I'd encourage you as we close to find a primary care provider you trust with your life. Normalize making appointments just like you would for a cold. Don't fall into the my child would never or not my kid trap. And be careful what you say about their friend's struggles as your teen will assume you would see them through the same lens. Know that you are not alone. Mental health is a common struggle that is still shrouded in secrecy and stigma. Build a trusted team that will help you through tough times. Well, that concludes episode two. We hope you join us next time. Here's your homework. Read chapter one of Behind Closed Doors and make a plan to create conversation keys and share how your activity went with a friend. Find me on Spotify Check out the Peace-themed playlist to accompany the material in Chapter 1. And last, subscribe at drnursemama.com to access all the resources waiting just for you. I'll see you next time on the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast, home of happy parents and healthy teens. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Nurse Mama show. Connect with us online at drnursemama.com or on Facebook and Instagram at drnursemama. You can find Pastor Brian at brianhaines.org or on Facebook at Dr. Brian Haynes. Tune in next time and invite a friend.